Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hi, and welcome back to another Corona edition of Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. We're recording on Tuesday, March 24. During this period, I'm concentrating on current events and trying to keep you updated with a range of views from a number of angles. My guest today is Steve Bull from ETF Watch. G'day, Steve. G'day, Phil. Love to say it's great to be here, but probably under different circumstances. Now, Steve is also the head of client experience at Tomorrow Super, so we'll be talking some super news to start with. Part of the government's package is to allow people to access some of their super. What are your thoughts on this uh, development? Well, we're certainly in unprecedented times here and some of these stimulus measures, um, you know, a few months ago would have just never, you would have never thought we would have seen those. So, you know, in times like this, it's good to keep people in their houses, keep people with food on the table, allow them to pay their bills. And if dipping into a bit of their super allows them to do that, then there's worse outcomes out there, obviously. You know, certainly I would see it as a, a last resort and you and, tr- and try not to dip into your super but if, if you've lost your job and you need some extra cash it will be out there t- for people to be able to do some of these super funds are um squealing rather loudly about it though aren't they yeah they are and you know when vested interests get involved you know, it's clearly not in their interest for people to withdraw be withdrawing their funds there's also you know a lot of the super funds have in the last 10 years have moved a lot of their investments to um, alternative assets or non-listed investments. Now, they've all been able to show good performance because that sort of sector's boomed over the last 10 years, but it means these assets are really illiquid and so they're difficult to offload in a hurry if, if um, they need to do that. What, what, what do you mean by these um, alternative assets? I, th- I think a lot of people think that their money's put into, their super money's put into bank accounts or cash deposits or the share market. What, what are the alternative assets? How does that work? Yeah, so given the, the sheer weight of cap of money that's gone into super, there's some of the industry funds out there have like you know over $100 billion sort of in investments available. And so they've started investing in alternatives to traditional shares and, and bonds and things like that. And it, it could be things like toll roads or agricultural assets, certain infrastructure assets it's a little bit unknown what a lot of them are in they just sort of call it their alternative investments but one thing's for sure that a lot of these assets unlike unlike the share market where you can buy or sell anything whenever you want albeit at the moment under distressed prices you you it's really hard to sell some of these assets um, especially at the in, in conditions like we're in at the moment how are you feeling personally from an investing point of view, I think there's opportunities starting to to show up there. Like if I reflect on the GFC, I bought my first house right in the middle of the GFC, which was a bit of a contrarian play in itself, but it was more that I just was at that age where I you know, was ready to buy a house. Um, and so I didn't have any capital to invest in the markets, and so I sort of watched it from the sideline. This time around, um, I'm seeing 
companies at 30, 40% less than they were a couple of months ago. And it's looking like there's going to be, there's definitely sort of buying opportunities starting to appear. Um, I'm definitely not in the the panic camp that a lot of people are in now that the, the world's going to end. I think, you know, we're in for a tough couple of years, but we'll get through it. So like, interestingly, I, I was reading um, Livewire last night, which is a quite a good read if you're interested in reading about all the what the fund managers have to say it's where most of australia's best fund managers sort of post their thoughts and it's um it's free it's free to subscribe as well isn't it so it, it's yeah. free to subscribe yeah and right now there's a lot of content being posted by the fund managers mm-hmm. and it's the first three articles i read the first one said the bottom will be hit when cases peak in the US and Australia and and that fund manager had done all this modeling and said that'll be mid-April and that's that's going to be the bottom of the markets and then we're going to be going to recovery phase. The second article said that the bottom will be hit in 12 to 18 months once the impacts have pushed through the whole economy. So there's companies out there right now that it's business as usual but in 6 months time that's when they'll get hit. The third article said that we're going into a Great Depression and <laughs> it'll be 10 to 20 years of Great Depression environment um, before we come out of this. So three fund managers are calling the bottom either in a, anywhere from a month's time to 20 years' time. Yep. <laughs> so um, I think that says that no one really knows where the bottom is, but if you've got cash and you and you're looking at the market you're buying today a lot cheaper than you were a couple of months ago it may keep falling you know you probably wouldn't go all in but it might be time to start looking at sort of drip, dripping a bit of money in and um taking advantage of the the weakness okay well let's move on to the etf side of things um i've been going through some of the articles that you've been producing over the last couple of weeks and um one part of it is lessons that you've learned from the gfc um, how's the current situation different to the GFC? I was old enough to sort of be in the workforce and going through that that GFC time, and I was in. I was working in a bank, so like we were sort of very impacted. And I think the the biggest difference I've seen is the the pace that the fear and panic has played out as part of the coronavirus crisis compared to the GFC, which was a really it was a slow burn. You know, the initial falls were in the sort of 20, 25% range. And for a long time, markets bounced around that sort of range. And, and, and most people in that initial phase thought this is just a crisis about um, subprime lending and it's a banking thing and it's not going to impact the real economy. It wasn't until probably almost a year in that some of the big commercial banks in the US collapsed, Lehman Brothers being the big one. And that's when I think the real panic set in and, and that's when the markets really fell to their their lows of about 50%. So the difference here is, you know, this has played out really quick. And the reason, obviously, clearly the reason is because everyone's impacted. It's very easy to see the, the reasons why. Some people were, like, were questioning ETFs before um, this current crisis and saying that in the case of a panic, that ETFs would worsen the situation. Is that, um, has that happened? The ETF market itself's held up pretty well. Some ETF asset classes have traded at large ranges to their underlying investment value. I don't think ETFs have contributed in any way. People are selling just like GFC, you know, just like any of these crises. People are just selling whatever they have, however they can. 
And so some people have have ETFs and they're selling, but the market's remaining liquid. The market makers are doing their job and the spread between the buy and sells remained fairly low, although it's, it's blown out a little bit. I don't think the ETF markets, you know, like I don't think we'd be seeing any bigger falls than we've seen if there was no ETF market, put it that way. Dividends during the G- GFC. I noticed in your article you mentioned that uh, dividends in the initial phase can go up. That's one thing that you see with the ETFs. So being a trust structure, their tax structures are trust or their legal structures of trust, they must pass all earnings onto the unit holders. And so what we did a bit of analysis in the GFC on the State Street ASX 200 ETF, which is, um, its ticker is STW, and it, it's Australia's oldest ETF and was clearly the biggest back then. And so what we saw was the actual dividend paid, let's say they paid a $2 dividend before the GFC, in those couple of GFC years, that dividend went up to about, you know, say $2.50 or $3. And there's two reasons for that. One is that an, an, an ETF that follows an index like the ASX 200, every quarter it reweights its port, It has to reweight its portfolio. And some companies will exit the index because their market capitalization might have fallen. Some companies will enter the index because their market capitalization's risen. Some companies will end up with smaller weights because they've been sold off more than others. And and the perfect example here is the banks, which make up a large proportion of the index, have been pretty heavily sold off. And companies like Staples, like Coles and Woolies, utilities, they've all held up pretty well because, you you know, and it's pretty easy to see why Coles and Woolies has done well if you walk into the supermarket. And so when these funds reweight, they'll be having to sort of offload some banks and buy some more coals and woolies. There'll be some companies like some travel companies that'll probably fall out of the index because they've been heavily, heavily sold off. And there'll be other companies that might come in, like maybe medical companies or something that are, that are doing well out of this. And so what um, the ETF has to do is buy and sell, which will realise some capital gains. Now, those capital gains have to be passed on to the investors. And then, and then the other thing to consider is there's a lot of people out there going, oh, well, like I'm, the, the ASX 200's got a yield of 6% now. I'm just going to buy for that yield. Well, that's a backwards-looking yield. So that's, that's the dividends that got earned last year. Now, in the GFC, we saw after that a little, little spike that we just spoke about, dividends fell by about 40%. And so for a few years there, as markets were starting to recover, the dividend yield that you were receiving was in the, in the range of 3 to 4% as opposed to about 5 to 6% prior to the GFC. So don't look at yield and think that that's what you're going to get next year because there's no doubt that, you know, I don't know whether it'll, it'll be a 40% fall in dividends. It might not be that much. It could be more. Um, there's going to be a lot of companies that are just going to suspend their dividend entirely this year because their businesses have had to basically close the doors. So, yeah, just be mindful of that if you're looking at, at dividend yields. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. 
Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Let's move on to LICs, which are listed investment companies. Um, it's a little bit difficult talking about LICs because I know a lot of, a lot of listeners have a lot of problems understanding what's going on. So an, an LIC is a, a listed investment company. It's, so it, it has a, a company structure, which means any money that, a, that they raise, that an LIC raises needs to be done through sort of capital markets, either through an IPO or a subsequent raising. Once they have that money, that's sort of locked in to that listed investment company and then they can go and invest it how they see fit. What it means is the actual share price of an LIC doesn't need to track the value of the assets it holds because the share price of an LIC is purely based on the supply and demand of that um, LIC on any given day. In a perfectly sort of operating market, you'd expect an LIC with a dollar's worth of assets to be worth a dollar. But markets aren't always rational. In good times, an LIC with a dollar's worth of assets may become worth a dollar twenty on the share market because people have confidence that that LIC is going to give them good returns. But then in bad times, when there's more sellers out there than buyers, that um, dollar's worth of assets could be bought for much less than that, a dollar, 70 cents, whatever. And that's what we call the premium or the discount to the net asset value, uh, NAV, NAV, or the net tangible assets, NTA. The, the two terms are interchangeable. So that, that sort of explains how, how an LIC works. But what we're seeing at the moment is more sellers than buyers. And we're seeing some really good LICs that have been around for, for a long time starting to trade at huge discounts to their underlying assets. What that means is if you're investing in those, you might be buying a dollar's worth of assets for 80 cents. So the returns that that fund manager is going to generate are generated based on the dollar, but you've only had to pay 80 cents for that. And then what, what you see, you tend to see is as markets recover, more confidence returns, more, and more people return to the market, the discount will narrow. And so investors in an LIC that are, that are buying today under these distressed market conditions can benefit from the upside of more investors coming in later and pushing up that price back closer to the NAV. So you can get a bit a bit more bang for your uh, investing dollar by going into an LIC. Yeah, that's right. And I, like I'm actually looking at quite a lot of them at the moment because I can see a lot of value in that part of the market. Uh-huh. Um, just yesterday, so today we're Tuesday the 24th. Yesterday, Monday the 23rd was the first day um, in Australia of somewhat more restrictive conditions. And yesterday, the market, the broad market, fell by about five percent. But most LICs fell by about between 10 and 20 percent. Uh-huh. And so that and the LICs tend to be held more by retail investors, which are investors like you and I. Yeah, rather everyday than, investors. Yeah, everyday people rather than professional investors. And so I think I think what we saw yesterday was that fear really setting in amongst the retail investors going, OK, things are getting real here. Um, my life's just changed for the foreseeable future. Things are probably only going to get worse. And they was just mass selling at any price in that sector. So the discounts that were there last month have increased. Mm-hmm. How, how far will the discounts get? I don't know. There's you know, some LICs at a 40% discount now. 
You've got, um, um, just before we go into too much detail there, you've got a list on uh, ETF Watch and um, there's blog posts where you're going through these, haven't you? Because we, um, we can link to that. Yeah, so we did a post um, last week on looking at some of the LICs that have fallen to big discounts. One of the challenges with the sector is they're only required to publish their underlying net asset value once a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have 15 days from the end of the month or two weeks from the end of the month to publish that. Yep. So by the time you get that information, it's in markets, in environments like this, it, it can be a bit dated. So we will be publishing some more information on the on the LICs. We're just looking at some of the um, dividends uh, yields on some of them and um, which which LICs are probably best placed to retain their dividends or, or not have as big a cuts. Um, but there are some resources out there that do publish a weekly indicative NAV if you want to look, uh, if you want a bit of a better idea of the, the LIC's current NAV. And um, I can provide that to you, Phil, and we can put it in the show notes. So we've got just one more thing to deal with here as a listener question. Um, this is from Thurston Darcy, who got in touch with me on Facebook. Can you please ask Steve Bull on your next show if he's aware of any Australian ETFs that are environmentally, ethically focused, or at least stay away from the mining companies, i.e. BHP? Regards, Thurston. I'm sure there's plenty of these, aren't there? We do have a post on ETF Watch looking at the ethical ETFs, but it's a little bit dated now, and there's mm-hmm. a few more options that are now available. But one thing with the ethical investing in general is what you defined as ethically responsible investing may differ to someone else. And so there's kind of a range of ethical criteria that some meet and some don't meet. For example, at the lowest level of ethical investing, they might only screen out companies involved with tobacco, dangerous weapons, and a couple of other sectors like that. But you know, there's not many of those sort of companies listed in Australia, um, and they'll include all the mining companies at the other end, there's ones that is, which is probably what you're more interested in, are these ones that screen out companies involved with fossil fuels. And they also put on, on the other side of the spectrum, put on what's called a positive screener, where they'll actually prioritise investing in companies that they deem to be socially responsible. Now, that may mean they um, offset their carbon, they have a higher allocation of women on boards, that they do commu- like a lot of community work. And so there's all sorts of things that, you know, meet those kind of criteria. So probably the two that best meet that definition is BetaShares have one called the Australian Sustainability Leaders ETF with the, the code FAIR, F-A-I-R. It's probably the most popular one. It's got, well, it had about 500 million uh, market cap. It's now down to about 350 million. And the other one that was only recently introduced, which has a slightly lower management fee, is the Vanek Vectors Australian Sustainability Equity ETF, quite similar to the BetaShares offering where it has both these positive and negative screeners. Um, It's codes GRNV. um, And the management cost on that one is uh, 0.35%, with the BetaShares 1.49%. So they're probably the... um, the two, if, if you want to avoid fossil fuels, they're the two I'd probably be looking at. There's suddenly been a, an uptick of interest as well in, um, in ETFs that uh, profit when the market goes down. What, what are they called? What did you call them? They're called uh, inverse ETFs. Yeah, yeah. Tell us a bit more about those. Yeah, so they basically follow the, the opposite of how an index performs, essentially. So if the market goes up by 10%, 
they'll fall by roughly 10%. There's also leveraged inverse ones where they'll actually have quite a bit more exposure to the to the market movements where if the market um, rises you know 10% they might fall 20% or if the market falls 10% they'll rise 20%. And so there's three of them available in Australia and you actually have a little post looking at them where just for a little bit of fun had a look at how much traffic has been coming to ETF watch to those three ETFs versus historically how much and if the average sort of traffic's 100 that's our kind of baseline it's up to about 1800 at the moment so there's like 18 times more traffic coming to that um, compared to the rest of the site so definitely popular at the moment and if you read reddit or whirlpool forums or any of those kind of forums where investors get together a lot of people are sort of chest beating about how they're you know they're in these ones and they're making all this money probably the the caution i would give there is a lot of these recoveries have happen in a a v-shaped pattern which means that if you think of a v the market falls on one side of the v and then as the good news starts trickling in um, the market reacts very quickly and, and they start going up on the, on the other side of the V. And that could happen here. You know, you never know. There could be a, um, there's already some antivirals that are being tr- um, tested and are testing quite well. If, if, you know, it comes out that people can be treated at early symptoms and, and wipe out the virus in a few days um, and that the production can ramp up to sort of get that going across the whole world, then I could see a case where markets will very quickly recover. So you don't want to be... Um, sort of caught with your pants down and, and, and have these these short ETFs or these inverse ETFs. And then a few days later, you, you, especially if you're in these leveraged ones. Well, your gains have just been wiped yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think you've got to be careful with, with those kind of inverse options, absolutely. Yeah, it's actually in the last episode that we had um, Rob Gilmore was speaking about um, ETFs and uh, stay in plain vanilla ETFs, not to get involved with, he, he mentioned leveraged and synthetic ETFs. So just like there's leveraged inverse ETFs, there's also leveraged normal sort of ETFs. And, it, you know, so they're magnifying any losses and magnifying any gains. You can get yourself in trouble pretty quickly. And then the synthetic ETFs, they're where the ETF doesn't track a real kind of asset or investment. It tracks some sort of, it might be a futures contract or it has some sort of other sort of synthetic way of accessing that exposure. Is there any way, is there a way of simplifying that? Uh, is it, I mean, I know we'd have to go into derivatives, but um, uh, a normal ETF would just buy an underlying stock, whereas a synthetic ETF might um, only buy, buy an option over that stock or a futures contract over that yeah, stock? Yeah, it might buy options or, yeah, yeah, futures contracts. Once you get into that world, things get really complex and it's kind of, banker territory specialist type stuff mm-hmm. um but what can happen with these kind of synthetic exposures is they all work good while markets are rational and performing as they should but it's these crises where um markets stop performing rationally and the one in a thousand event or one in a million event actually happens mm-hmm. and they can blow up pretty quickly thankfully there's only a handful of synthetic etfs on the ASX and they, they're not very popular. They tend to be like tracking like access to agricultural type things like, you know, wheat or um, things like that, that are, you know, you can't, you can't be buying physical wheat 
um, but you you trade that through sort of futures contracts. So mm-hmm. they're not very popular in Australia. So pretty easy to avoid. Okay, Steve, thank you very much for joining us today in these uh, troubled and difficult times. That's all right. Thanks for having us, Phil. And I'll leave you with a quote from an investor by the name of Jeremy Grantham, mm-hmm. who is a um, he's, oh, he's in a U.S. investor, has about $200 billion under assets. He's a, quite, quite a famous sort of investor. And his comment is, be aware that the market does not turn when it sees light at the end of the tunnel. It turns when all looks black, but just a subtle shade less black than the day before. I think it's a good uh, quote to keep in mind in the current environment. Fantastic. That's great. Thanks very much, Steve. Thanks, Phil. Shares for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not Shares for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. Thanks to Christopher Soulos for music production with that special Greekalicious flavour. Remember, music always flows, even when the money won't. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey guys, welcome to Giggly Squad, a place where we make fun of everything, but most importantly, ourselves. I'm Paige DeSorbo. I'm Hannah Burner. Welcome to the squad. Giggly Squad started on Summer House when we were giggling during an inappropriate time. But of course, we can't be managed. So we decided to start this podcast to continue giggling. We will make fun of pop culture news. We're watching fashion trends, pep talks where we give advice, mental health moments, and games and guests. Listen to Giggly Squad on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.